I've been a member of the wrestling community for many years, and in my time, I've seen plenty of great wrestlers go down and put off medical treatment. I've seen guys push through the pain because society tells us that strong men can take it. I've also seen guys ignore symptoms and signs because they don't have insurance or the money to get treatment. I mean, I've seen guys with broken limbs, guys with skin disorders. No matter what the reason, it's an epidemic that's plagued our sport for too long. Kinetic Content, the producers that brought you Married at First Sight, is now casting a new groundbreaking medical documentary series that will follow the stories of people with existing and undiagnosed medical conditions that have not seen a doctor. Those who are selected will get the opportunity to receive a proper diagnosis and treatment from a top medical specialist. All medical costs and treatment will be covered by the production company. If you are suffering from an undiagnosed medical condition and have not seen a doctor, please call 310-752-0859 or apply directly at medicalcare.castingcrane.com. Again, 310-752-0859 or apply directly at medicalcare.castingcrane.com. Together, we can help the wrestling community get the medical care they need. So, if you or someone you know could use some help getting healthy, don't hesitate to apply. Tell them the Genius Cast sent you. Behold, the genius Lanny Pop, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the soap opera on the video school. You're listening to The Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo and co-host J.P. Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing, motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer Randy Savage, The Genius, Leaping Lanny Poffo! Hello again, wrestling fans. This is Lanny Poffo and JP Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com. And we're coming off the heels of our interview with Fred Ottman. What a good guy he was and just fantastic to listen to. A lot to be learned from someone like him. And I'm getting cards and letters and emails and texts. Everybody's in love with Fred. What kind of cards are you getting? I'm not getting cards. (laughs) (laughs) I was embellishing my own story. I love it. I had an image of cards coming to your door from the mail. There's no cards in my door. The only cards that come to my door invite me to a free dinner and I get to see a timeshare presentation. Oh, not bad. I'm not at that point yet in my life, but I look forward to those free dinners someday. But no, he was really great to listen to. I mean, talking about somebody who's been in the business from the 70s, you know, he was brought up when kayfabe was definitely upheld. And, you know, to be sharing the stories on the road, one of the funniest stories that stood out for me was that when he was in the car and he was going a couple miles away and the two wrestlers fell asleep on his shoulder. And then the was it Boris Malenko said, oh, yes, you could tell that they're seasoned veterans if they could sleep anywhere. I mean, just things like this really brought to life what it was like to be on the road. The guys sleeping were Tony Marino, 
and Cyclone Negro. Now, Cyclone Negro is from Caracas, Venezuela, and um, Tony Marino is still alive. He is from Rochester, New York. And uh, I was lucky enough to meet both of them. So, you know, I get to meet the old timers and the new timers. I mean, clocking 5,000 miles on the road each week by car, and that just had to take its toll. And the tires. On the tires and, and on the psyche. But um, no, really great interview. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, go back to last week's show. You'll love it. And just the way he talks about, you know, John Tenta, who, Earthquake, you know, how he was like a brother. The two of them riding rides at Disneyland with their Mickey Mouse ears on is such a treat. And then you've got, of course, him talking about his time as the Shockmaster, which was very short-lived. And just his outlook after that is really, really something special. You know, it's something we can learn from. So a bit of breaking news happening. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter broke some news yesterday, that's at the time of this recording, saying that Don Callis is very likely done with New Japan. Now, the feeling is currently, if he is brought back, it might be for some of the big shows that fit his schedule. Jim Ross's name has been talked about taking over a commentary role, but the idea is for him to do the live feed on AXS rather than actually going in studio and voicing it over. While I'm reading this news... It says that you, your name, has been brought up as a possible replacement. Is there any truth to what Meltzer's saying? My name? Yes, you've been brought up as being a potential replacement to be commentator in New Japan. Well, I guess Dave Meltzer knows everything, right? Uh, well, he is the godfather of wrestling journalism. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I know. Uh, Michael Craven from New Japan. I met him September 1st at All In. And he asked me if I would be interested in, you know, holding the microphone as a color commentary. And I said, wow, that'd be great. I love New Japan. And, you know, it's I've never been to Japan. Can you imagine that? I've been every country in the world and not Japan. So that is on my bucket list. And it's just an audition. Don't get excited. But I'm flying out October 23rd, and I'm coming back November 4th. And uh, unfortunately... I was booked November 3rd for John Thorne in Cleveland, and I hate to do this to people, but I had to cancel. Fortunately, he had enough time to get replacements, and he never did buy the wrestling ticket. If he had, I would have gladly reimbursed him, because I have honor too. Now, speaking of honor, Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks, you know, I came to All In on a whim. Jay Lethal and I decided it would be good for me to accompany him to the ring. And I bought my own plane ticket. I bought my own hotel rooms. And I did not expect to be reimbursed. I got a check from the Young Bucks for not just reimbursement of my trouble. You know, I did Uber myself about. But I got reimbursed and got a ridiculously generous payday. And I feel like giving the money back but my father would roll in his grave if I would do that. So I accept the money, but I want all the people of the Genius Cast to know that the Young Bucks are fantastic people and they truly have honor, which is great because they work for Ring of Honor. And of course, they, they opened up the door for new possibilities for you. And Jay Lethal, you know, thanks to him and Cody Rhodes. They're all a bunch of fantastic people. It was a very, very happy dressing room. And I love Ring of Honor. And I'll tell you what, if I hadn't sat next to Mark Brown, 
going to New Orleans for WrestleCon. And he's the one that told me that Hunter Johnston was the booker and he gave me his email address. That's how I got to Lakeland, Florida. And then the Young Bucks came up to me and asked me politely if I would be on Being the Elite. And if you look at episode 101, I make a cameo appearance. Now that took my career from life support to the mainstream. And that also, and I'll tell you what, when I was in, when I was in Chicago, I met Alicia Atut. And she's uh, Ambie, you know, she's the beautiful girl that does all the interviews. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I, Jay Lethal and I did an interview with her. All of a sudden, I have a pulse. You know, I'm going to be 64 years old, December 28th. And I feel alive now. I feel young. These people make me feel young. And I love New Japan. I love um, Ring of Honor. And I still love WWE. Wrestling's been very, very good to me. So I want to be good to wrestling, and I hope so much that I can um, do a good job. And uh, let me see if I can come up with a little poem. The genius comes to New Japan, so let your hearts rejoice and bathe in all the luxury of my poetic voice. My grooming is impeccable. My outfit is brand new. Ichini sanshi go rokelichi rachikuju. That's fantastic. I cannot wait to see how well you do out there. And as you said, it is just an invitation to come see how you do. And I hope you absolutely kill it out there. To quote Richard from the movie The Beach, never refuse an invitation, never resist the unfamiliar, never fail to be polite, and never outstay the welcome. Just keep your mind open and suck in the experience. And if it hurts, you know what? It's probably worth it. And I hope this experience is worth it for you. Well, thank you very much. And whatever happens... Good or bad, the Genius Cast will roll along. And we'll be coming along with you on this journey, and hopefully we'll be able to get some interviews and some good information from your time out in Japan. Well, if I don't break it, melts her well, so I might as well do it myself. That's right, so hit subscribe if you haven't already, and follow along with us on this journey. Now, I have to admit something to you, Lanny. Okay. Given that I'm your friend and co-host of this podcast with you, you think I would have watched that documentary that Concrete did on you back in June. But the truth is, I actually haven't watched that until a few days ago. By watching that video, which is highly recommended, by the way, check it out. Go on the Concrete YouTube page. That's with the K. The people over there did a fantastic job. Some takeaways from that interview that you did. The first half of that documentary felt like an episode of MTV Cribs, where you got to show off your toys, which was great. I learned that you don't use toilet paper. Instead, you use a bidet. Like the best people do. <laughs> of course you would use a bidet. And you have a TV set up in front of your infrared sauna so that you don't get bored while in there. That's right. I'm very easily bored. <laughs> I also learned you have a TV which is hanging directly above your bed. Now, how do you find the motivation to get out of bed in the morning when you got that beastly beauty hanging above you? It's not easy. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, when I entertain women, they have to be under a certain weight. Yeah, and height. I also learned that through this documentary, you've waited in line like everybody else and auditioned for America's Got Talent in Jacksonville and Orlando, Florida, which is something that I didn't even know about. And of course, you didn't get through the next rounds both times, which was America's Loss. What did you perform for the judges? I did original poetry twice, and then the third time... I did um, a song from Camelot by Lerner and Lowe. Hello, my name is Lanny Poffo. On December 28th, I will be 64 years old, and this is my third try for America's Got Talent. 
The first two times were original poetry. Well, if you didn't like that, I've got a little something from Lerner and Lowe, Camelot. Let's hope you like it. The next performer, he's been with Concert for Kids for 10 years. He's known in the WWE as Leapin' Lanny, or the genius, son of wrestling legend Angelo Papo, younger brother of the late, the great, macho man Randy Savage, a published writer of poems, you heard a beautiful one tonight, and limericks, which bring awareness to drug and alcohol abuse and anti-smoking. Please welcome, singing Camelot from Camelot, Mr. Lanny Papo. Thank you. It's true, the crown has made it clear, the climate must be perfect all the year. Allah was made a distant moon to go here, July and August cannot be too hot, and there's a legal limit to the snow here in Camelot. The winter is forbidden till December and exits March the 2nd on the dot. By order, summer lingers through September in Camelot. Camelot, Camelot. I know it sounds a bit bizarre, but in Camelot, Camelot, that's how conditions are. The rain may never fall till after sundown. By eight the morning fall must disappear. In short, there's simply not a more congenial spot for happily ever aftering than here in Camelot. a person pause, but in Camelot, Camelot, those are the legal laws. The snow may never slush upon the hillside, by 9 p.m. the moonlight must appear. In short, there's simply not a more congenial spot. For happily ever aftering them here in Camelot. So I've so I'm over three, but here's the deal, JP. I gave myself permission to fail, but I did not give myself permission to not try. Now I am retired. But I always like to stay flexible for different opportunities that come up. That's why I'm talking to you on this podcast. Okay. And uh, you made me an offer I couldn't refuse, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I, as much as I don't like losing, I really hate not trying. Right. And I think there's something to be learned there. And you said something in that documentary, which I thought was great, was that 
shows like America's Got Talent, and you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't give it a lot of credit, shows like this, but you said it, it offers the opportunity for the everyday person to showcase their talents and be recognized for it. Well, when I grew up, there was Ted Mech, the original Amateur Hour, and uh, I believe Elvis Presley um, came in second on one of those uh, competitions. I don't know if it was Ted Mech. Second? But Man. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that meant he didn't do well in his career. Okay, right. I'm just joking. But um, it's just judges, you know, people make mistakes and everything, but he was out there. He wasn't just a truck driver. He was a truck driver with a guitar, and he finally got his break, capitalized on it, and he made history. So um, I am very happily retired because I still have a pulse, and I still have a phone, and if the price is right, I'll be there tonight. And if the price isn't right, I still might go if I've never been there before. Lanny, I think you're amazing for doing that. Don't die with your music still inside you. Being able to showcase talents and put it out there in different avenues is something you just got to do. You only live once. That's true. But if you do it right, once is enough. That's right. Now, we're about to go into our interview we had with Sean Oliver. Now, Sean, he is the co-owner of Kayfabe Commentaries. He's the godfather of shoot interviews. You know, he's been doing it since 2007. And as a result of a lot of his interviews, I would say we, we're getting a lot of podcasts from it. I mean, when he started off, having a wrestler talk for an hour and a half, two hours weekly wasn't something that was even comprehended about. And so it's through people like him who has kickstarted this whole new generation and wave of entertainment and, and pro wrestling. And kudos to him. He's fantastic. And he had a lot of good stories to share. And I'll tell you what, he's got a new book, Father's Blood. Buy it or go to hell. That's what I got to say. That's my, no, it's a hell of a book. And um, if you don't buy this book, then I will not look at you with respect. How's that? Yeah, that's something you don't want to have. You want to be looked at in respectful eyes from the genius. Now, of course... You, you want you want disdain? <laughs> you don't want disdain. <laughs> you want respect. Definitely a book worth checking out. And we're not going to give too much away because we'll get into it with our interview with him. But it's going to be a real treat, so stick around for that. The truth is there's nothing I wouldn't do for that man. He is phenomenal. He's great. And he helped me a couple of times make some big decisions in my life. And he did inadvertently... You know, he didn't uh, give me the lecture time. It's lecture time. No, but you know what? You're influenced by the company you keep. And his words of wisdom, sometimes, you know, uh, you don't go to bed with the wisdom, but you wake up with it. You know what I'm saying? It's like it grows on you. And I'll go out right and say it. I don't want to. Um, he's the guy that helped me the most in making my mind up to put the Macho Man into the Hall of Fame against his wishes. Because it's about the fans. I'll tell you something. My Hall of Fame ring that I wear, my father would turn in his grave if he knew how much money was offered to me to sell that ring. It's in six figures. Think about it. Well, that's a priceless possession. Well, I, I can't sell it because it's not mine. I just get to wear it. And the great thing is if, if people get a chance to meet you at autograph signings and at shows and such, you offer the chance for fans to wear Randy's ring, which is fantastic. And get a picture taken. Why take a picture when you can have a keepsake? That's right. Absolutely.
We are thrilled to have published author and co-owner of Kayfabe Commentaries and host of the popular You Shoot, Timeline, Guest Booker, and Breaking Kayfabe series, amongst many others. The man who's redefined the shoot video genre as we know it. Sean Oliver, it's a pleasure to have you on the Genius Cast today. Well, it's great to be on. Uh, it's, uh, I like what you guys are doing. Can I, listen, you know what's so, so funny? People always go down like the list of credits they talk about. They say things like revolutioning the, re- revolutionizing the shoot interview genre, which is, you know, let's face it, a little bit like being the smartest guy in jail. But <laughs> can, can I also take a bit of a bow for maybe having a residual effect on the, uh, the amount of podcasts that are out there, the, the wrestlers who have been given a voice, because we hear on when when used properly on shoot programming, wow, this guy's intelligent, wow, this guy's eloquent, wow, this guy could actually talk for an hour and a half and keep me completely engaged. Speaking of the wrestler, who's my guest at the time, so I think that as an offshoot of profiling a lot of these gentlemen uh, properly, um, I think the public has come to accept them. In a different in a different form in a different medium, and I think we've we've had a little bit of an effect on what's become this podcast wrestling podcast boom. I completely agree. I mean, in two thousand seven, when you just got started, I mean, a lot of these wrestlers couldn't even imagine you know recording an hour, hour and a half each week and actually make a living off of it. And it was through you know people like yourself and what you're doing that has given them a platform to do so. Yeah, a bit of our formula which has always worked was right guest for right show. And it didn't always mean, and this was very counter to what the shoot business and it's not, it wasn't just shoot interviews. You had the news, the dirt sheets out there and stuff, but people who were getting a look into the business, it wasn't always the biggest name in the ring equated to the best guest. Mm-hmm. And we realized very quickly that, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody who wrestled Harley race 4,000 times. That's going to make for the, my best guest on the show. Who's going to be able to mix it up with me and, uh, and be most entertaining. So that factored in, it certainly, you couldn't put squash guys on, you know, it would, it would maybe diminish, but it had to be recognizable face and name. But entertainment value started to weigh, to me and to us, started to weigh as much as their title reigns. Absolutely. Now, Lanny, did you ever imagine you'd be doing a podcast? No, I had no interest in it. I, I, had, I wanted nothing to do with it. Even you had to use some chicanery to get me to try it. And even then, I didn't want to commit, you know, because it's like it seemed like to like a lot of work is what it was. But fortunately, I've got you. I don't need to do any work. I just talk on this microphone. Yeah, you get to talk for an hour and a half each week. I do the rest. And, you know, the same goes for you, Sean. You get people on your show. And, you know, most of the time they realize, actually, it's a really good experience. I mean, you, you do some high-class work over there. You, you always make your guests feel comfortable. You give them dinner before the show sometimes. I've been reading your book, Kayfabe Stories You're Not Supposed to Hear, from a pro wrestling production company owner, which I highly, highly recommend to all our listeners, by the way. And what stands out to me the most is that your dealings with those in the business is not far off from the dealings of a teacher with their students. Now, Lanny tells me that you also teach. 
Yeah. For every Lanny Poffo, Kevin Nash, or Jim Cornette, you've got a Conan, Buff Bagwell, or Jake Roberts. You know, every person's coming in with their own expectations and needs, and these range greatly, you know, from wanting to have a steak dinner before the interview or having their favorite obscure vodka at the ready. You know, give us some of the stories that you've experienced over the years of some of your favorite people to talk to and maybe some of the worst that you've dealt with over the years. Well, my personal rule as a content provider has always been if it's an entertaining show for the viewer then I'll I'll shoulder all of that burden I'll deal with the difficult guest I'll deal with the impossible requests I'll deal with the honky-tonk man needing Seagram's extra smooth vodka which I think has been discontinued uh, years before he even asked for it that was funny that was hilarious finding that was a was a journey but um, I'll deal with all that if they hit the ball when I pitch it over the plate. The tacit agreement that I have. I'm going to pitch, and you better bring it and hit that fucking ball because that's what everybody came to see. I'll deal with everything that the fans don't see. I'm okay with that. I've been in the entertainment business a long time. I deal with temperamental personalities my entire life. That's fine. Um, the problem is when, when I get... When they don't deliver on that, when for whatever reason the production is compromised, and on top of that they're a douchebag, yeah. that's a big problem, and uh, and that's when I that's when I can't tolerate it, and that's why you've got unfortunate stories in uh, my first book, Kayfabe, about folks like uh, Buff, who uh, um, he must have been really tired that day. Let's chalk it up to that. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't do any tests on his blood, so I'm going to say he was so tired he couldn't even talk when the camera went on. <laughs> so he was very exhausted. Um, you know, and then we had uh, folks like uh, Jake Roberts who uh, sat down to do the interview and said, I will not talk about my family at all. The entire interview that's written is about growing up at a wrestling right. family. And uh, so we had to part ways uh, right there on the set. I wasn't going to sit there and compromise the show for the Listen, I still value people who pay for entertainment. There is a bit of a perception by anyone under the age of 40 that any media should be free, and you don't pay for anything. But I still value folks that will put down money in exchange for an artist's product. I can't charge somebody to watch something that is unentertaining for whatever reason. So... You know, when somebody says, oh, I can't talk about this, can't talk about that, can't talk about this, I say, well, you can drop the money right there and we'll shake hands and still be friends and uh, I'll get you back to your hotel. You know, because it, it would be a disservice to the listeners and, and the paying customer. Of course, of course. The, the shoot business has been navigated by those with varying degrees of professionalism. So there's been a lot of crap that's been thrown out there by guests that would answer in you know one word answers and i've certainly been on the other side of in you know in the hundreds of interviews i've done there's certainly been folks that were much tougher to i don't want to say manipulate because it makes me sound like a you know like a puppet master but uh that have to draw information in an extended and interesting fashion i've certainly had to resort to my bag of tricks with more than a few folks um because I'm very aware of that I cannot put yes, no answers out there for somebody who's given money, but even more important than money, an hour and a half or two hours of their life put into our hands to be entertained. Right. And it is a bit of a, 
art form to get these answers out of talent, especially ones who are kind of closed doors. And it's a shame. And I mean, at least from what I've seen, you've done a really fantastic job. And I know that a lot of fans really appreciate what you guys are doing with kayfabe commentaries. I mean, you always deliver highly entertaining and informative interviews. They're not watered down, which is unfortunately what you get with the likes of a machine like World Wrestling Entertainment, for instance. You always ask the questions the fans want to hear because you're a fan yourself. Depending on the show, I'm, I have to wear a different hat. Timeline, history of WWE, history of WCW, history of ECW, any of the spinoffs under that brand, um, I'm a historian there, so I have to draw from them the minutiae and details of the year we're profiling, because when I'm sitting in the host chair, I have to be the fan also, because it, uh, I have to. I can only gauge how entertaining the interview is if I'm sitting there as the viewing fan. So I know when I need more detail. I know when I need something a little juicy. I know when I want them to go into just a little bit more detail about what happened before getting into the ring with that match uh, back in the locker room, because my research told me something happened, and I need that little bit of info. So. I have to do that. I got to put on that historian hat for that series. You shoot, my hands are kind of tied because all of the questions are asked by the fans, either through uh, emailed questions or videos. So I got to kind of stick to that. We can have some fun and, you know, bounce some stuff off. Uh, the, the guest and myself can bounce things off each other based on a fan question. But I kind of got to stick to the script there. But a, a series like Breaking Kayfabe, where it's all me, it's just the discussion between the guest and myself, mm-hmm. there I can really have a conversation. I was at a wedding uh, last night, and um, I ran into one of the, the bride's uh, cousins or something, was a radio guy in Ohio, and stopped me by the bar. He said, you're Sean Oliver. I said, yeah. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, I watch your stuff all the time on the Internet. And he goes, I, I even use it in some of my interviews with musicians. He said, because the thing that I learned from you was just to – just to sit and have it like a discussion, like just be chill was the way he put it. Mm-hmm. But that's really the secret. It's not an interview. It's a discussion. And if you can go into it with that mentality that I'm going to talk to this guy and wherever we go, if it's interesting, I'm going to let him lead the dance a little bit. And I'll bring him back to the center of the floor when I have to. But we're just going to go where the music takes us. And if you've got a list of bulleted, numbered questions, just push that to the side and look over in the guy's eyes and talk to him. When Lanny and I first worked together, it was on Breaking Kayfabe. Very rarely do I put somebody on that series first. They usually come in and do a U-shoot or a timeline or something. We get to know each other more. And once that trust is engendered, then I say to them, would you come on Breaking Kayfabe and like talk about your family or your whatever the particular guest, your, your erectile dysfunction, your, that wasn't the case with Lanny. I just want to say, just I'm <laughs> throwing out there the, the kinds of things that had been uh, discussed. Although there is a great erectile dysfunction story in Father's Blood, the book we're going to talk about later, that once the trust is engendered, we can talk. But Lanny, when I talked to him on the phone the first time, he told me he had seen the stuff. He had seen kayfabe commentaries work. And he, I don't want to say a fan, but, but he, he appreciated the sincerity and the honesty and, and care was the word he used. He said, you, there's so much care. And I realized we can do Breaking Kayfabe together because he gets it. He knows that he's safe in my hands. Like I, I, we would never, we'd never do him dirty with it, with a personal interview like that, where he's going to talk about family and his life. So we had that trust right away. And that's why that show was great. And Lanny's so smart. He's got a great sense of humor. So we knew that like doing a you shoot would be fun also. And 
some of my favorite programming um, has been my time uh, with Lanny. It's because he's uh, he's one of those guys that we're talking about him like he's not in the room. <laughs> yeah. He's one of those guys you can do anything with. You you can talk history, you can talk wrestling, you can talk politics, you can talk art, you can talk music, you can talk theater. Uh, I said in my first book, Kayfabe, hey, like the guys I enjoyed spending time with the most were the guys I didn't have to talk wrestling with. Like when we went to dinner or we hang out or talking on the phone, we could talk about anything. It's the people you get along with on a personal level. And, and what I like most about Lanny is he he doesn't take himself too seriously. He can make fun of himself. And, you know, the people that are like that, you know they're good-hearted, they're secure, and, you know, you can go anywhere with an interview and not feel like you're going to be stepping on toes, which unfortunately is what you do get with some individuals. I always said from my time in the entertainment build business, doing movies and TV for whatever, 25 years, the bigger the name, the cooler they are. And it's just a security. Guys that, are, that have something to prove or, or they're difficult, but guys that are the pros that have been there and done it, they don't have to act like that. Exactly. Now, of course, let's lead into your book because you've got a new book that was released on the 2nd of October called Father's Blood. In fact, as we've mentioned, Lanny helped out with some of the stories in this. Tell our listeners about the book and how they can get a copy of it. Well, the copy is available in... Uh, on Amazon and it's on Kindle and in paperback and the uh, audio book will be done and released I think uh, first week of November I'm recording that now that's an arduous process yeah. but a lot of folks love the I love audio books myself so I do love to read but time is, often encroaches on our ability to do so as busy people so we need to lean on the audio book sure. the concept of the I had written kayfabe okay and that was out and it was the story of running this company for 10 years and um, it was a hit and it was crazy and I, I went in with no expectation because I'd never had anything published before. Uh, I knew I was a writer, I knew I was a good writer, but you never know how the public's going to take the things. So I went in with no expectation and it went crazy and then I said, and other people said, okay, what's next? And I was kind of like, ooh, okay, yeah, right, that. Um, I wanted to write fiction so I'd, uh, I'd had a novel, Sophie's Journal, which was already in the works, and uh, I committed to getting that out next. But I, I did have an eye. I wanted to know what my next wrestling project was going to be. So, Lanny, you'll appreciate this. I don't think I ever told you this, but I was going through so many ideas uh, what wrestling-related stuff I could write. I don't want to write something just historical. My favorite stories are very personal um, of of personal stories of the workers and it was a it was a really tough business I, I don't know how clearly that comes across i mean we celebrate the uh the celebrity aspect of of what these guys did but if we could really drill down into some details i thought it would be really interesting to present these guys as people and i was sitting in in a broadway theater watching hamilton and uh it was it was in the winter, and you know the the other book had just come out, and I'm just, all these ideas swirling in my head. And there's the scene with Alexander Hamilton and his son. And right th then and there, I said, "Wow, I, I spent so much time talking about the wrestling family with these guys. What if I took a few hundred pages to just grab a handful of guys and just drill down into what their lives with their children were like?" when they were keeping these commitments to Vince McMahon or Jim Crockett or whoever the hell they were working for at the time, Angelo Poffo, whoever they were working for at the time. 
and really do an honest exploration of what their life was like. Talk to some of the children of wrestlers who are no longer with us, Bam Bam Bigelow, Gary Hart, and hear from their perspective what it was like. So that was the genesis of Father's Blood. And Lanny was the first person I called because he, he had that unique perspective uh, of being the second-generation wrestler and then also having a child at the time. I couldn't talk to the guys from today. Like anything after 2000, like I used that kind of as my benchmark. 2000 uh, and up, the new millennium wrestlers, they didn't live the lifestyle and have the road obligations and you know territorial requirements. Oh, we're moving. You know, Pack up the U-Haul. We're going to Minnesota for six months. They don't have to deal with that. So I, I couldn't. I couldn't really tell the story just because they had a very much a different lifestyle. So Lanny was the first one I called, and I, I pitched him the idea of the book, and and he was on board from uh, from day one. And, and that interview, the time I spent talking with him and texting and emailing and, and, and talking on the phone, interviewing him for the book, that kind of set the tone for the type of information I wanted from all the other talent that I talked to. Um, and, and I think I got a great result uh, largely because of of the tone that I was able to set working with Lanny very early on. Now, you mentioned you have Lanny Poffo in this book, uh, the family of Bam Bam Bigelow, Gary Hart. Who else is involved? Uh, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, interesting story there because he's able to tell. each. It's so funny. Each of the guys had such a, a – there were things that were similar about their family experiences – but there were things that were so unique to them. I, I already mentioned Lanny having, you know, c- coming for a second generation and then also having a child too. Um, Kevin Sullivan, who his career spanned, you know, he was doing jobs for Vince Sr. in 1976 when he first had kids. And then all the way through, you know, working in Florida and doing the whole devil thing that he was doing. And then, um, then he was on the, you know, the, creative committee for WCW during the ratings wars. So he and, and his children kind of span where he had the children, I should say, kind of span all three of those roles in wrestling. So that was very interesting. Vince Russo, who was, who, when he started his family was not in the wrestling business. He was kind of a knock around sales guy out in long Island and landed this job writing for, and then running WWE magazine. So watching that, his life ramp up from a PC Richards salesman selling TVs and microwaves uh, after his video rental store went belly up. Videotapes, for those of you out there listening that are under 30, they were these big plastic things that we used to have to stick in machines to watch things. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't flow effortlessly through the air into my pocket phone. Um, so, yeah, so Russo's story is on there. J.J. Dillon, whose story was just... I had no idea, knowing JJ J. and working with him all these years, three marriages, um, uh, just just a very interesting, I don't want to give too much away, but very, very harrowing at times, very atypical. And if you know JJ, he's the most calm, sedate guy. It all rolls off his back. And then if you read his, his familial life for the last, uh, in, in the last, 40 years, you'd be shocked. He said in the interview, I think it's in the book, he said, if, um, if you ever you know, just wrote this and, and put it out without people knowing that it was a first-hand account, people would say this is far-fetched. So JJ's in there also. 
just a, a really a great collection of, of, um, of oh yeah Shane Bigelow obviously uh, Bam Bam Bigelow's son mm-hmm. talking about his life which really that story is there's a very hard dividing line there uh, before the pills and after the pills it's like yeah, two different right. people and I mean and Shane brings up a lot of questions that he has about the death of his father um, which you know is attributed to a massive uh, overdose but um, there are a lot of details surrounding uh, a gentleman that Bam Bam was living with at the time, and uh, some uh, some some questions about the legitimacy of the overdose diagnosis. So that mm. was kind of weird to to unearth as we spoke. That'll be interesting to read about. Um, I mean, going back to the likes of like J.J. Dillon. I mean, he was coming in, up in the business when you know it was not unnormal to be on the road 350 days a year. You know, and that's going to take, that's going to make, you know, bring out the worst in people. And the, it's not easy for families to be away th- that long. And it's just a different time now. It's a different time right now. And, and people wouldn't understand. And depending on what you did back then, also, it was different. If you were the journeyman worker who, who did the kind of, you hear the stereotypical territory to territory, six months, six months, six months, then, then that's one story. If you were somebody who was a superstar in one place, like we talk about Tito Santana, we also uh, uh, talked to Tito Santana in the book. And he, um, pretty early in his career, I mean, he did Bill Watts, uh, and, and uh, but he, and Ole in Georgia. But right after that, he landed in New York in 1983. And the guy never left. He landed in New York. He knew Vince Sr. He had worked a little bit for Sr. Sr. brought him back up um, in a phone call in 82 and said, uh, time to come home. And Vince Jr. kind of took the ball and ran with it with Tito after that because he was, like Lanny, a, re- a responsible guy, a reliable guy. Um, you didn't have to worry about, you know, headlines the next day if, you know, those guys are going out after the matches. He was a clean liver, um, probably had a clean liver, and right. uh, he was a promoter's dream. So he was able to stay in that one spot for so long. And it was good as a family man as well. You don't have to move around. You know, you could be, you could actually dig your roots in the ground a bit. Right, right. And that's, that's what, I mean, he was certainly flying all over the country uh, right. in the 80s for the company, but his family could stay rooted in Jersey. They were here in Jersey for uh, forever. And then uh, Eric Bischoff, we also uh, profile in the book also. Now that, that entire story takes a turn. You know, he starts as a, another knockaround guy who ends up working for the AWA. Uh, he's a salesman also. It was strange to me, and I did. I, I, it should be no surprise. But as it came out, I hadn't thought about it prior. How many of these guys had careers in sales as salesmen before <laughs> working for wrestling? It's kind of the same thing. Um, but Bischoff's story then turns, and when you it's not his personal story, but the story of his children, when they're old enough to be aware, high school, college age, He's already the president of WCW, so their view of the business is a view from the top. So when you read uh, the Bischoff story in the book, it is you know going to the hot springs in Japan with the with uh, the Saidos and getting the uh, you know the hot bath ritual as the ghosts of samurais look down upon them. Uh, <laughs> very different than the, uh, the knock-around guy bouncing through the territories, or you know, Tony Atlas's story is the most heartbreaking in there because of uh, his being estranged from his daughter for almost her entire life. Mm. Um, was that, that birth was, was an outgrowth of, of a one-night stand, quite honestly, which they tried to make work, but, um, but just didn't. Now, Lanny, I got, now I'm going to switch the, the. I'm going to go into the interview, the uh, interviewer chair here for a minute. 
Um, Lanny, in your story, um, we hear of, uh, of you going to great lengths to normalize the experience for Megan and uh, always bringing home toys for her on the road. And uh, what were the most difficult times for you um, being away from her? Leaving and coming back. Is, you know, leaving is the hardest. Coming back is the easiest. And I try to come back with a splash. And, you know, there's nothing like a present to really ensure your popularity. You know, you can buy love. It is possible. And... <laughs> a, Especially for a kid. <laughs> yeah, it's... um. But, you know, the thing is, um, she was always, you know, one thing I'm, um, my ex-wife and I, we, she, my, 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 my ex-wife was a very, very, very good parent. And I give her most of the credit for my daughter turning into a very useful and prodigious citizen. She's very responsible. She's 34 years old, happily married, um, on March 18th, my grandson will be eight, uh, two years old, and uh, he's doing very well. So as bad as I feel that things didn't work out, and being Catholic, you know, and, you know, it's double the guilt. Right. So um, I'm just very glad that, um, that my ex-wife was a very good mother and that my daughter is a very good mother, too. So in other words, you know, when you were talking about other, you know, listen, I hate to say this, you know, but the nicest person I ever met in this business was Chris Benoit. So that nice guy thing is sometimes overrated. You know, like he was the nicest, most, um, I don't know, capable and uh, reliable guy until he wasn't. You see what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. So you, you, you never, you, you know, you, and you misjudge people. If you would say, hey, guess which wrestler did this? I would not guess that guy. You know, uh, right. Brian Nobbs' name would come up, you know, but evidently Brian does very well. He just has a loud voice, you know. Yeah. So I'm just, um, I'm very, very relieved that my grandson is doing so well and my daughter's doing so well. I don't feel like such a failure now. The, uh, the Another thing, though, and you say it in the book, uh, you attribute a very, uh, in addition to Sally, you attribute a very big uh, contributing factor to the to your success as a parent uh, to your lifestyle choices, let's just say, um, in regards to what you did after the matches and whatnot. Well, it's what, you, do, it's what you don't do after the matches. If You, you know, it's right. like uh, right. you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. You know, um, here, smoke this, here, drink that. You know, the next thing you know, you're out of control. Yeah. And uh, I didn't smoke or drink or do drugs. And I tried to live the life of a Spartan. Now, that's no fun, but it's a hell of a lot more fun than, you know, the uh, consequences of falling from grace, you know. A very interesting dichotomy, though, uh, which is illustrated in the book was when you had to go on the gas when you were uh, after a life of uh, after living such a clean life and then you're simultaneously speaking at Megan's school about saying no to illegal substances and you were about to get the push where you're going to be on TV with Hogan and and uh, you had to go on the gas to get a little bigger okay let me stop you there i didn't have to go on the gas i chose to go on the gas nobody um 
jammed needles into my butt. You know, you know what I mean? And I say, hey, stop doing that, you know? Um, right. In other words, uh, I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired of being a jabroni that I looked in the mirror and I said, self, I've got a chance here to take this genius thing to the top. And I decided, and I took, it was, I didn't like mull over the decision. I agonized over the decision. Right. You know, because it is not my character to do this. But once you're not a virgin, you're a whore. And once you put the needle in, you're a whore. You know, so I'm telling you, and and here's the thing. I could very easily go on kayfabe commentaries and say, no, I never took steroids. Well, you know what? I wouldn't be able to help anybody not take decisions like that. You see what I mean? I figured if I can just use myself as an example of what not right. to do, then maybe what if I can help one person who's at the fork of the road and say, should, should I or should I not take steroids? Well, I've got more credibility if I say I did it and I, and here's what can happen to you. Testicular atrophy, uh, on up, you know, things are better now. I can't prove it, but uh, it's just an audio. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> take my word for it. Things are back to normal. Happily. Okay. <laughs> happily, happily. That's good. Yeah. He always gets the last word. He sneaks it in there. That's good. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I made a decision to go ahead and, you know, tell the truth about the steroids because it was decadorabalin, and it's supposed to be the cleanest one, but there's no such thing as a clean steroid. If they ever invent one, I'll take it. Right. When I said had to, I didn't want to imply that McMahon stuck a needle in your ass. It was just... From a uh, from an occupational uh, standard at the time standpoint, uh, yeah, it was just a it was a big person's game at the time, and you needed the size if you were going to be on TV. It was one of those subconscious uh, or, or uh, under the surface agreements. I mean, if you were going to get a push, you had to look a certain way. No promoter had to say it; it was known. You look at the guys that were getting. Um, the weekly squashes on TV, Hercules, uh, uh, Powers of Pain, and I don't want to imply that they use steroids. They probably did. <laughs> they looked a certain way, let's say that. We don't want to apply that. <laughs> Generally, there's a visual test, and if it looks too good to be true, that's because it is. Yeah, you ain't kidding. And by the way, they work, you know, those steroids. They actually, you know, here's what happened. I took about two months off, um getting my gimmick together, buying the caps and gowns, growing my hair out, growing my beard, which was mostly Crayola anyway. I came into the locker room. I took off my shirt and everybody says, holy shit. Really? Wow. <laughs> you know, I said, what have you been doing? He said, never mind. We know what you've been doing. And uh, the thing is, okay, I was most improved, but uh, I still didn't belong in that locker room because you still had... The Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, um, you know, uh, the Warlord, the Barbarian. You know, I was still, um, still didn't belong in the locker room, but I was much improved. Did you undergo any of the, um, the uh, rage issues that you hear about, the mood swings, the, the, the difficulty in, in, um, in maintaining a level? Because you're a pretty level guy. Uh, did you become uh, an angry beast? Uh, ten arrests, no convictions. <laughs> okay, yeah, you know where I stole that. You know the uh, that's from Guys and Dolls. 
That's right. Uh, the, during the, uh, it was a big jewel, right? Big Julie. Big, big Julie from East Cicero, Illinois. That's right. Uh, 16 arrests, no convictions. I played Nathan Detroit, I'll have you know. I, I, I knew that. Memorial I, High School's production, yes. Go ahead, though. I don't want to step on your story. No, no, that's good. I, I'll tell you what, and you were the director of Les Miserables. I did direct, uh, with my wife, a production of uh, Les Miserables, which was uh, challenging beyond words, but so rewarding. It's it's one of the great shows out there. How many people just clicked over to J.J. Dillon's podcast just now? Just with two musical references, how many listeners did you just lose, <laughs> is the question. Well, we don't care. I want to sell your book. Okay. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because you sent me a link to it. And I have to admit, I did not read the book. I only read the parts that had my name in it. Okay? Yes. So... What I appreciate is that you... There's the not... ringing endorsement, folks. That's, that's how you really get your quote out there. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. You did not misquote me. You know, and that means a lot to me because I get oh, misquoted right. a lot. And it bothers the hell out of me. Oh, you, know, the, the, you know, you say something, I say something, and what's the point of interviewing me if you're going to misquote me? That pisses me off. Really, it does. And you didn't even misquote me. Not only that... um, you made it all made sense to me, you know, and I felt I felt really good about it, you know, and I think it's a hell of a book. And uh, I even like it so much that I'm going to go back and read the other people's stories. Well, that is an endorsement. Part of it, Lanny, well, like you said, I kind of making it all sense, make it all make sense. That was the biggest part for me as the as the author of someone else's story. You know, the first book was my story, so I could just tell you that. that my first novel that came out, that would, that came from within. But this was someone else's story, so to keep it interesting, to have it... My goal was to have it flow like a narrative, to make it read like it was a piece of fiction, um, to bounce in and out of the men's lives throughout the 250 pages, um, throughout each chapter in their lives with their kids. And what the... After talking to somebody and recording the conversation for an hour or so, I had to go in and say, what is the heart of this person's story? What, what, is, what are they saying? It was somebody I once heard said when a psychotherapist sits with their pad and listens to you talk, they're writing down everything that you're not saying. Um, and that's kind of what I had to do. I had to listen to, to you guys and then say, okay, well, what's underneath? What's below here? Certainly we're going to put all the ver verbiage quoted accurately in, but what's the story here? And yours was, uh, was extremely interesting. The story of, you mentioned Catholic guilt before. Um, that, that is a kind of a, uh, a character in, in your story and, uh, and in the home of Angelo and Judy. You, you had the double whammy. You had the double team. You had the, the Catholic guilt, and then you had the Jewish guilt working on you from the other side, which is just as effective. You, and it was like having three parents with Randy. You know, he was the older brother, and he was my parent. I had my mom as my parent. I had my dad as my parent. And all three were type A personalities. Oh, and yeah. I just, you know, I'll tell you what, um, it's a good thing I had my own room, you know, because <laughs> I needed um, some place to have a little bit of a respite yeah. from all this pressure. And you know something about my father, you know, he, my father and my mother, they were raised in the depression, you know, like they had to go uphill both ways to school. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and um, the weather was never good. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, they meant well, let's just give them that. But I'll tell you what, 
I would never take one of my progeny and force them into the Catholic Church. And now what's going on with all these headlines? Well, just think of it this way. You know, in my opinion, if you're going to do chastity, how about a castration and penectomy to go with it? You see what I mean? Because all it's going to do is make a uh, pressure cooker and then boom, you know, next thing you know, you know, you got the uh, altar boys. You see what right. I mean? I don't want to make jokes about it. It's a really horrible thing. No, it, 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 it's, it's horrifying. And I mean, people, people continue to give money to organizations that uh, we are learning have been shielding pedophiles from the community um, for years and moving them around. And they've continued to operate in parishes that they were moved to. Um, it's, it, it's horrific that in this day and age it happens, but because it's in the shadow of the cross, people block it out. They drop money in the bucket at church and they turn a blind eye to it. They put their heads right in the sand because there is that crucifix hanging above the building, which tells them, um, oh, it's, there's something greater. It's not all news. They're isolated cases. But the amount of isolated cases are staggering. And the Vatican, it seems, has done nothing short of cover for these pedophiles. I'll tell you what, the next time I'm in church, I promise you I'll be horizontal. Yeah. And I'm just glad that Father O'Shanahan didn't find me attractive. Yeah. You know what, though? In your book, uh, in, in, in your chapter, in my book, excuse me, um, you took Angelo to church every week. As uh, I, My interpretation was you wanted to give something back. It was against everything you believed in. You said you would never go in there again. But in his last days... You thought it was important to him, so you made the gesture to be the one to bring him to church. Well, I remember the day he he admitted, he, he gave my mom the keys right in front of me. He says, take the keys. I don't know how I got home, and I don't think I can drive anymore. You know, and it's great that you can admit that before the wreck. Right. So that's a good thing. And then I thought, then he won't be able to go to church. And... I said, I'll take you to church. Don't worry about it. And I'll sit next to you, too. Right. You know, and uh, sitting next to him, too, I would have rather just picked him up. You know what I mean? Because I don't, I would rather, uh, you know, watch the game. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, right. anyway. Um, but insert living in service of Angelo still right down to the dying day. And I closed that chapter when you talk about driving him to church. And then I said... Uh, something about your freedom and then the last line was Angelo Poffo died on blah 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 and that was the close of that chapter because that was the close of your having to wrestle with your service to your father even yours and Sally's decisions uh, in raising Megan I think you feared early on it's in the book when uh, some, some dictates were being handed down by grandpa and you had to make the decision that we are going to raise this child and I'm going to put my foot down for the first time in the, 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 uh, the triad in service of Angelo, Judy, Randy, and Jesus. And I said in the book, probably in that order, um, that, uh, that you and Sally were going to make your own decisions with Megan. 
Yeah, and, and I'll tell you something. <laughs> this is going to sound so persnickety, and I am that way, and everybody knows me knows that. But I hope you like me anyway. My father died on March 4th. Think about it. It's a sentence. March it's a 4th. Subject. March 4th. F-O-R-T-H. March yes. 4th. Yes. It's a subject and a predicate. It's a complete sentence. I, that's probably the only, you know, March 4th. And my dad was all about marching forth. You know, he was, and uh, when it, you know, it just, doesn't that mess up your mind a little? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, it was uh, you were you were such a fantastic contribution uh, to, to to those stories, Lanny, and it was uh, it was a pleasure to to be able to be allowed that intimate access. And then the photos, I put a couple of them on um, on Twitter this week, and uh, fans are loving them. Just uh, I have a great one of you with Angelo and Mom, and everybody's around the dinner table. You know, the family's all together. Um, the Poffo family. It's uh, it was a pleasure to uh, to be given that access. So thank you. Well, and I'm going to thank you for something. And I don't want to get emotional, but I get emotional. Okay, I'm almost disturbed. Okay, <laughs> but you got to let a little steam escape. Okay, because yeah. um, you know they say um, Ernest Hemingway never cried, but he took a rifle and shot him's head off. You know what I mean? Maybe you yeah. should have cried a little. Yeah, yeah. I will take the tears. Go ahead. Yeah. Ask not for whom the bell tolls. Okay. So anyway, okay, Sean, you know me and you know I was not just wrestling with, but I was losing to a big problem that I had. My brother loved Pete Rose and he loved that fact that Pete Rose was bigger than the Hall of Fame and Randy didn't want to be in the Hall of Fame unless he put the, you know, me and my dad in there. You know, that was his wish. But when I was interviewed on kayfabe com commentaries you know i told you how randy felt and i and then the magic day happened on december 28th when i became 59 years old and i was the older brother now and a lot of the things you had told me i had to carry with me because you know you know how to you're very influential i blame you for putting randy in the hall of fame well, thank you, because ultimately, Randy as a wrestler, Randy as a wrestler, made so many people happy, Lanny. And the, listen, the merits of that actual Hall of Fame, we could debate, can debate in another forum. But um, so many people that would attend that night, there was probably, what, 20,000 people sitting in there, Lanny, right? Yes. Every one of them smiling, smiling again. Randy popped the house again, and he did it because of you. You were finally the tag team partner that got the hot tag in the ring with Randy that night. And that house was because you allowed Randy to do that. So I just think it's bigger bigger than the issues that Randy carried. And you know, sometimes Lanny, he was intense beyond what was necessary and what was reasonable. I'll go with that. Yes. Um, but to the good of the fans though, you see what I mean? He yeah. was never satisfied with one interview, one costume, one wrestling match. And the match he had with Ricky Steamboat, um, kind of ruined his life. How so? Um, because, uh, he couldn't top it. 
Oh, I see, now, right. You know, some of the reason he couldn't top it is because not all your opponents are going to be Ricky Steamboat. Mm. You see what I mean? As a matter of fact, there's only one of those. So, you know, there was a documentary out there, you know, the one that they put out from Connecticut about Randy, and they talked about those things like he was an obsessive maniac and and what he was if he was an artist they would talk about how his obsession led to brilliant paintings if he was martin scorsese who is an obsessive lunatic you know he would be lauded by the american film institute but it's wrestling and it was randy so he was he was maniacal he wrote all the moves down with ricky and he was kind of portrayed like a nut sometimes in that particular documentary i must say right and i'll tell you what um the, I just just grading the people's performances that were in the DVD. I give high marks and kudos to Diamond Dallas Page, and I also really like um, Kevin Nash. Nash, okay, sure. He did great in there. Um, on the other hand, the opposite end of the continuum, I was very disappointed with Jerry the King Lawler. I'll go, you know, go back and watch it for the first time if you don't remember what he said. And there's a guy that's been married 300 times and he's giving marital advice to how Randy treated Elizabeth. And he wasn't even there. You pointed that out. He that's wasn't even not there. The least of, that's not the least of the dating decisions you could talk about with Jerry. But again, that'll be another show. Well, you know, I don't want to um, I don't want to mention that he might have taken underage people over state lines or whatever. You see what I mean? Might have. I don't know. Allegedly. Who knows? Um, or. Uh, what is WWE very strict about spousal abuse? Unless your name is Jerry Lawler, what's the deal? Okay. But the worst guy of all was Pat Patterson. He is the man responsible for not letting Randy finish his career with Shawn Michaels. And having Randy wanted to have the, a match better than Ricky Steamboat. In the final match, he was going to have a match where it's going to be after a two-year feud. And you know, he wrote it down. Um that Shawn Michaels would shave his head if he lost and Randy would give up his career if he lost and retire to the announcing table. And that's what would happen at WrestleMania. Now compare Randy's unselfishness to lose to Shawn Michaels to Bret Hart and his selfishness. You know, and I love Bret Hart, but he wanted to, he didn't care who won as long as it was Bret Hart that won. Not only that, but they did that with Flair. And specifically Michaels. And it was such a huge moment for them. I, I refuse to believe that Randy would have drawn any less if that was his retirement. Well, Randy's idea was he wanted to, he didn't want the match with Steamboat to be the best. He wanted to finish with the best one. You see right. what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, the reason I'm not as good as Randy is because of my philosophy, which is do your best and forget the rest. Hey, I'm going to do my best. But guess what? I suck. <laughs> so what I mean? So I can't really keep doing. See, I have to sleep and shave and do and also function. So if I'm not going to be the best, I'll do my best and forget the rest. You right. see what I mean? I'm not going to torture myself because I'm, you know, uh, I'm not going to be. The reason I'm the happy man is because I'm not, I was never jealous of the macho man. Some of the wrestlers today that are speaking ill of him were jealous of him and they've never resolved it. Mm. So here's the bad news. I'm still here and I'm going to point out your shortcomings, King, okay, if, uh, or Pat, or, you know, any of them. You know, and I can't prove what I say is true, but when you look at the DVD, that is photographic uh, audio evidence. 
that, uh, you know, these guys, you couldn't even say nice things about him on his DVD. That's a, that's a, that's a lot of, uh, you see what I mean? Yeah, it's it's funny though. Also, how this is going to shock you, Lanny, but sometimes wrestlers embellish. Okay. Oh and, no. Yeah, I know you're clutching your chest, falling to the floor. Um, and what I've noticed just in my role in the company is that um, wrestling lore kind of takes over, and um, and everybody starts to tell the story that they heard from a first person standpoint. Okay. And uh, I was never, let me just say, in a locker room with Randy or Liz or any, uh, uh, or uh, through any of those times. But you explained to me, and you've probably said it a million times, that the whole story about Randy, like, it's kind of become like he locked her in a cave behind a boulder and put her in with no food and clothing and lit only by torchlight. Um, I'm talking about keeping Liz in the locker room, how that tale has kind of become. Uh, repeated probably more than anyone who saw it on uh, uh, firsthand. And you explained to me and to all the viewers that she was dressing with Moolah or whoever was on the card, whatever ladies were there, were in a ladies section to be private. And there were frequently times when no female wrestlers were on the card. So Liz was given a separate dressing area for that, there was no key that Randy kept in his boot, and she was locked in the room. But that kind of became wrestling lore, and I think that's what happens, Lane. So when people tell these stories on the DVD, how much did they actually fucking see? King wasn't even there for any of this, like we talked about. So stuff just starts to get repeated, and the more ominous they can make it sound, um, the better chances they'll use that person's soundbite and give them some extra screen time than the guy who said, yeah, I, yeah, I saw Liz in the dressing room by herself, but, you know, I didn't think it was a big deal. They're not going to put that guy on. They're going to put the guy who says, oh, you know, she was put in there with a lion and made to fight for her survival. You know what I mean? I understand. And, you know, here we have a three-way conversation. And of the three of us, I'm the only one who's been divorced. Sean is happily married. JP is happily married. And, you know, here I am, but I don't give marital advice. Why would, why would you come to me for marital advice? You should come to some guy that's been married a hundred years. You know, somebody that's actually done it. Because you're a cautionary tale, like the steroids. <laughs> yes. I'm, you know, like I don't consider myself worthy of giving this kind of advice. But yet, Jerry Lawler, who was, you know, I don't know how many times he's been married, but he's competing with uh, Mickey Rooney, Okay. And, um, you know, that's like, what is the record anyway? Who knows? But um, another great contemporary reference for all the youngins out there, Lanny, keeping it, keeping it contemporary. Thank you with the Mickey Rooney action there. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, he was uh, he was a he was a bigger star than um, Clark Gable for um, for about three years. Right. Yeah. When he was a, when he was a kid, you're talking right. His younger years. I'm telling you, he was uh, the Hardy Boys and all that, you know. Yeah. There was a time when he was Mr. Show Business. And uh, now, you know, about a month before Randy died, I'm in the company of some people ages 18 through 24. Mm -hmm. And I'm playing with my cell phone and I said, oh my God, Elizabeth Taylor died. And everybody said, who's that? And I said, oh my God, they don't know. Yeah. How the hell can you not know who she And yet they don't know. 
You know, they know Lady Gaga, but they don't know Liz Taylor. What's the deal? You know, fame is fleeting. And nowadays, they're so, I mean, your celebrities, when we were, uh, more people clicking off, by the way, just as, as, I, as I can imagine. Uh, back in the day, our celebrities were folks that entertained us in the world of sport, um, in the world of television or movies, and folks that sang to us on the radio. That was it. There was no reality TV. There was no Kim Kardashian who could be famous for, I guess, nothing, famous for being famous. There was no Jersey Shore. So our scope was much more narrow. Today, everybody is a potential celebrity. YouTube famous. Uh, are, are you YouTube famous? Are you internet famous? Do you have some wrestling shoot interview company and people stop you at a wedding? What the fuck is that? So the scope of uh, recognizable personalities is so wide today. Whereas back then we were, we knew, listen, Liz Taylor wasn't in my generation, but when I was 18, I knew who Liz Taylor was. She wasn't actively uh, in anything. I don't think at that time she was a much older woman, but I knew who she was. But today... Their heads are crammed with so much stuff. My big fear with doing the first book was, does anybody have time to read anymore? But thankfully, the results uh, seem to show that uh, people do, or at least listen to it on audiobook. We could we could go on all day, couldn't we, Lanny? We should have, we should have another show. Yeah, we could we could go on all day, but I am vehemently going to say. On behalf of J.P. Zarka and myself, thank you for being on our show, and to the fans out there that are listening. Buy Father's Blood or go to hell. <laughs> and one last Angelo Catholic guilt sentence being brought down to hopefully result in increased sales for the book. So I thank you. I thank Angelo. And I thank all your listeners, sincerely. And thank you, Sean. And I'm going to say it again. I blame you for Randy being in the Hall of Fame because you were influential. And um, once I make up my mind, I'm like a rock of jello. Okay, and I needed, um, and I, I'm gonna tell you what, I didn't do it for Randy, and I didn't do it for Vince. I did it for the fans because without the fans, this sport does not exist, and neither does this podcast, and neither does kayfabe commentaries. Amen. It is about supply and demand, and without demand, there is no supply. Thank you, and for to all your fine fans, you can now tune out, go back on the internet, and get back to beating off. <laughs> Sean, where can people find you on social media? Oh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Kfabe Sean. Uh, you can uh, like my uh, Sean Oliver books on Facebook, and uh, head over to Amazon and check out Father's Blood if you want that uh, intimate look into the Pafo family, the Bischoff family, and all the families we've talked about herein. Get your heads off of YouTube and into these books. I can't recommend them enough. Sean, we'd love to do this with you again. I, I just got to sit back and just listen to you guys talk. It's been a joy for me, and, and we would love to do this again soon. Uh, anytime. All right. Thank you very much, and all the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that was that was fantastic. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Thank you. Just the stories he has to share and the way he the way he holds a conversation. It's very conversational and the way he comes in with his own advice and experiences, it's it's really great to listen to and of course inspiring. You know, someone like myself who's very new to interviews, so there's a lot to be learned from someone like him and 
the one thing that Sean kept saying was just like, you know, all right, you could tune out and go to the likes of uh, J.J. Dillon, what have you. But you know what? I think what people come to our show is to get a bit of art, a bit of class, and to learn about pop culture references from the past. And I think that's what we offer is something very different in that regards. I'm learning, our listeners are learning, and there's a lot of respect for the past, which is what this is all about. We're going to go to the fan questions of the week. Heart Foundation for Hall of Fame. He asks on Instagram, Lanny Poffo, I love your podcast. I love the stories and your memory is tremendous. I got a question about Randy's Hall of Fame ring. What do you do to it when you're not on appearances? Where does it sit in your house? I have a very special place where it's going to be safe. And um, some of the wrestlers have lost their rings. And uh, some of them have sold their rings. Um, I plan to do neither. So I'm very meticulous, and I have a special drawer. Uh, I would tell you, but I would have to kill you. Dan Rackley on Twitter asked, I have a half question, half story that I've been telling for years, and I'm trying to figure out even if it actually happened. I was five years old, and my dad and grandfather took me to one of the shows the WWF would do every six weeks or so in the Omaha area, and it was probably in the mid-80s. We were standing in line at the concession stand, and Randy walks by, fully dressed to wrestle with his sunglasses, cape, the whole thing, and he stands in front of me. He must have heard me say something to my dad, because he turned around at me and he growled, What are you looking at? And then he proceeds to step up to the counter to order. I need to know from Lanny, if possible, is this something that the guys regularly did at house shows, or is it just something that Randy specifically did? Whenever the guys wanted something to eat, they always sent a person to do that. They would never go themselves. Um, and Randy would never subject himself to being in line at a concession stand. Seems Dan had a, a vivid imagination then. Yes. Okay. Um, Joe Stasi, he's the one who runs the ICW Facebook page. Definitely worth checking out. He's also helping us out with social media, which is fantastic. Now, we sent this memory in that I wanted to share on air. He says the Pafos, which is Angelo, Judy, your mom, Randy, and Liz, rented a house, two houses from him in Lexington, Kentucky, around 1983. And they stayed there until they went to the WWF. Well, one day, Joe's brother was riding his motorcycle up and down the street. Now, Randy, Angelo, and your family dog, Backup, was in the front yard. Well, as he remembers, the dog started to go after his brother, and Randy went into full macho man mode, yelling at the dog in his unmistakable voice. Joe says he's not sure what scared his brother worse, the dog coming after him or Randy yelling at it. He says it was the only time he ever heard Randy raise his voice. Tell me about your dog backup. Where did the name come from, and do you have got any good stories about your old German Shepherd? There were two dogs. Um, there was opposition dog. And then when Opposition Dog got older, uh, there was backup to Opposition Dog. Opposition Dog meant the ICW is opposition to every territory in the world. And that's why, hence the name, Opposition Dog. And then backup to Opposition Dog was when Opposition Dog got older, they got a new puppy to back up Opposition Dog. So... That's how it 
Did I make myself clear? Yeah. Okay. You guys didn't yes. use a lot of creativity when naming these dogs. I was never <laughs> consulted and it was not my dog. Did you ever give them nicknames like OD? No, it was it was it was back up to opposition dog and then just finally became backup dog. Those poor things. Yeah. <laughs> Even something like Walter Dickinson would have been better than back up to opposition dog as a name. Right. And then um of course we all know the story of Hercules because Hercules Hernandez had a dog that had several puppies, and then Hercules invited my brother over to give Randy the pick of the litter. And that was the dog Hercules, and that was the dog whose ashes Randy's ashes are on top of now. And that's the dog that was in the photo with Randy when he has the uh, WWF title underneath the tree? That's right. That's Hercules. I love that picture. Yeah. Named after Hercules Hernandez, whose, um, whose mother was... Uh, the mother of Hercules, whatever. Well, with those great stories, we're going to end our show this week. It's been a lot of fun. Tune in next week. We're going to be doing a look into Mr. Perfect. Now, Lanny was a friend of his, and he's got a lot of great stories to share. You're not going to want to miss this show. Well, I just want to say thank you, J.P. Zarka. The show is getting it's such a hit now, and people say, "How did boy, you really work hard on the show. I don't do anything. J.P. does everything. And um, when we met, I told you I didn't want to do it because I was not interested in putting forth any work. And you promised me you'd do everything. And not only have you done everything, but it's your expertise, your professionalism, and you're amazing. And I just hope that um, I can just hold up my end here. But uh, we are a team and we are going to stay together because I'm so happy that our show is gathering momentum, and I want to thank all the fans for that. I appreciate that, Lanny. That means a lot. And ultimately, all the hard work that's going into the show is not about me. It's not about you. It's for the fans. So we're trying to do our best to put the best podcast out there. Let us know what you think. Hit us up on The Genius Cast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. We've got an account there. And tell your friends. You know, Let people know about the show. We're just starting off, so... If you can put it out there on your social media accounts and tell your wrestling friends, that'd be great. Spread the word. Tune in next week. So long from us for now. Bye-bye. I just want to say not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny, as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this genius cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to. We can't thank you enough, guys. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Genius Cast. We're going to be using those accounts to keep the Poffo family memory alive. Quick shout out to ProWrestlingTees.com where you can get both of Lanny's shirts for sale. You've got the Black Machismo Jay Lethal on one side and you've got Lanny on the other. And also don't forget the new Genius Glow shirt for sale. You look great in front of your friends and you'll get a shout out on our show. Thank you to all the fans who've written in and sent in your poems that you wrote specifically for this show. That means a lot. You can continue to do that and send Macho Man Clip of the Week suggestions and questions for the show to thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. We had a lot of fun this week and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday, so don't forget to subscribe. 
I'm J.P. Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at J.P. Zarka, that's Z like Zebra, A-R-K-A. That's it for now. So long and goodbye. You've been listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find them on social media at the Genius Cast, at Lanny Poffo, or at JP Zarka. If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on the show each week, send an email to the Genius Cast at ProWrestlingStories.com. Until next time.